there, I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Well, hello there from Terry Hills in Sydney in the studio. There's a question that we're often asked when we're young and that we probably ask young children today. What do you want to be when you grow up? And the answers are always very interesting and rarely do you find that those answers are what someone takes on in their life. We have these preconceived ideas about what we might want to be, but Things just change. And my guest today, Bridie Wright, is an expert when it comes to change. And we're going to talk about what she really wanted to be when she grew up. And she's still growing up at how old, Bridie? I'm 43 now. Almost 44. Almost 44. And I haven't quite found what I want to be when I grow up. And I'm 65. I'm just working on it. So really it's about the turning points in our lives and the choices that we make and the ways that our lives change and we reinvent ourselves. So my guest, Bridie, is a presenter, a children's author and a storyteller from Sydney and she's incredibly talented and she doesn't give herself enough credit for it. So welcome, Bridie. Thank you, Karen. It's lovely to be here. That's really kind of you to say. Well, I know that you have your own radio program here in at Radio Northern yes. Beaches and I'm sitting you in the chair as a guest today. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about you. Yes, well, I'm, uh, I live on the Northern Beaches. I don't hail from the Northern Beaches. I'm a bit, bit uh, strange in that regard. <laughs> I come from everywhere. Where, where do I come from? Uh, born in Brisbane um, or Caboolture, actually, which is outside of Brisbane. Moved to Brisbane then moved to Sydney with my family, attended six, six schools. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of schools. I only ever attended two. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> I know, I know. So, so change was, was in, my, in my blood, I think. So I grew up in, in Sydney, though, and uh, I studied uh, at school. I was sort of very good to, at the art subject. So when I went to university, I studied an arts degree mm-hmm. and majored in English literature and history and got, you know, sort of honours degree in English literature. Um, so I was one of those people, I guess, who, you know, they say arts degrees, where, where's that going to get you? And I guess it, it's true that it does make you work a little bit harder for, you know, where you're going to go in your career. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I worked in television for about the first 10 years of my career and then I went to England, Karen. You sailed across the oceans blue? I did. And I did that for love of all things. Can you believe it? Love of work or love of a man? <laughs> or a well, woman? Uh, <laughs> Who knows? It was love of a man. <laughs> Lucky and, man. Um, I know, because that sort of put a kibosh on the, my television career. So I gave up quite a lot for love of love of a man but you know he's my husband now 
I have a wonderful son with him. And uh, yeah, so that was a, that was a big turning point, which we can talk about. But yeah, so I lived for four years in England and did a range of jobs, ended up working in the higher education sector, business development, event management. And then we came home, so my home, ah. <laughs> Sydney. So, it, you know, you sound like you're a bit of a Jillaroo. Yes. Tried yes. a lot of things. Well, so maybe you could call me a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, or master of everything. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I think, though, Bridie, the thing is, once upon a time, and especially in the generation before me, once you chose a career, it was pretty well set in concrete. Yeah. Yeah. You, you went along that path. Whether you liked it or not, you stayed in that path. So if you're an accountant, you stayed as an accountant. If you're a builder, you stayed as a builder. You know, that it was just one of those things. And you hear, heard of people staying in a job for 30 and mm. 40 years of their life and then retiring, even staying in the same, with the same company. Yeah. And these days... It's not like that any longer. And I think it's fortunate that we don't have to, you know, bury ourselves in a career right from the day dot. And I also, you know, there's a whole lot of kids out there now, and I say kids, HSC students, that are choosing careers, uh, yeah. they're choosing courses, and this is a hard time in their life because oh, they're, yes. they're setting themselves a big task of getting the marks they want, then setting a career that, they maybe think that's the path they're going to take. But as you and I know, that's not always the way. That's right. Well, actually, you see, I think the gap here must be, a, it is a, a newer thing. It's a millennial thing, or I hope I've got my uh, generation right there. But maybe that's come about because we've realised that there is a problem with this setting up of an expectation of, you know what you want from the for a word go. You go to university, you really know what you want to do, you do a degree, and you absolutely know what profession you, you want to be, and then you go and do it. But the gap year has obviously come up because people are going, oh, I did that degree, but I actually still don't know what I want to be. Mm. <laughs> and I probably did that degree because I was directed into it by my parents or, you know, I think, it, I think it's just a recognition that... No, life isn't that clear cut. Mm. It's it's a lot of it's a lot to place pressure on a you know a young adult. This idea that they really know what they want to be by the time they graduate and do the HSC, just because they may be good at a particular subject. Well, you know what? I just interviewed a couple of kids today. Children. Oh, good luck to you. <laughs> so I just want to hear what these young children think that they want to do in the future. So there's yeah. three of them. So let's listen to those. Great. So, hello, Xavier. Hi. Hi. How old are you, Xavier? Eight. Eight. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. What do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, that's a tricky question. Is um, it? <laughs> yeah. Um, my first one is police officer. A police officer? Mm. Why would you like to be a police officer? So that there's no crimes in the world. Well, that's a very noble profession to choose. 
Have you got another one that you might like if you weren't a police officer? Um, yeah. What's your second choice? Um, a security person. A security person? Mm. What would you keep secure? Maybe um, like a vault or something. Oh, a vault. Mm. A vault full of gold or jewelry? Yeah, maybe, maybe diamonds even. Okay. Well, thank you very much for answering my question. This is Xavier, and how old are you again, Xavier? Eight. Eight. Cheerio. Bye. Bye. Hi, Addison. Welcome to the Aging Fearlessly program. How old are you? Eight. Eight years old. When are you nine? December the 20th. Ah. Now, Addie, I've got a question for you. What do you want to be when you grow up? A firefighter. A firefighter? Why would you like to be a firefighter? Because they can save people. They can save people. It's pretty dangerous though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to finding out if you become a firefighter. And uh, thanks for sharing this little piece on Aging fearlessly today. You're welcome. Cheers. Well, hi, Ella. I'm Karen. How old are you? I'm nine. You're nine. Ella, what do you want to be when you grow up? When I grow up, I want to be a dance teacher and, and or a normal teacher. And why do you want to be a dance teacher or a normal teacher? Because I just feel like I have the personality to be like help people and just leader and stuff like that. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for that. Wow, wasn't that fascinating, <laughs> Bridie? <laughs> it is. It's you never know what kids are going to say. You know, um, my son, who's now just turned nine, when he was four, going on five, so when he graduated childcare. <laughs> Of course, you have to graduate childcare. Well, then you do that now. Again, because you're setting kids up to everything's very structured. He he said when in his photo, graduation photo, where they were a little cap and gown and they put a, a little chalkboard in front of them, he said, I want to be a cat when I grow up. Oh. So, look, if you, if you actually say that that's his expectation, that's what he has to be, I, I'm not sure he's going to get to that. No, um, <laughs> well, well, look, did um, B1 think he was going to be a banana? Well, that's B2, right. B2, a banana. Or what about one of those bears? What are they? Maybe he's going to play Humphrey a cat bear. as an actor. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, anything's possible, really, Bridie. <laughs> we're, having a, we're having a chat about possibilities. So. Yes. <laughs> Bridie, you know, there's been, I know, many turning points uh, in your life. And I've read a, a whole lot of things about you. You know, you, you're one day going to appear on my story room, Oz, and you sent me some information about your life. And you talked about the things that you really wanted to do when you grew up. What are some of those things? Well, I guess going right back to the beginning, if you asked me as a child, I was always extremely sure of what I wanted to do, Karen. And what was that? I wanted to be an actor and a singer. And? Or both or either. <laughs> and did you pursue that like in your life path as a child? Were you doing acting, singing? Well, yes and no. I really loved singing 
and I would always sing and I'd embarrass myself and I'd be in the school choir, but I wasn't really getting the vibes from anyone that I was, it was an X factor thing I should go and, you know, audition for. So, <laughs> but my, my parents pretty down to earth, you know, I grew up with very down to earth people and they weren't going to encourage any false, false hopes or dreams. But on the other side, in terms of speaking, now that's something that, I guess I did start, I did pursue. Uh, when I was really little, I, I guess I must have had a bit of a stutter or I used to <sighs> raise my words and I'd breathe and I, you know, apparently I couldn't get it all out quick enough. Mm -hmm. And when I was in about grade three or four, I actually won a, I won a poetry recital <laughs> competition at school. I mean, of all things, I don't think they have them anymore. My mother sort of thought, oh, you've got a bit of a talent there or, or you need to sort of, you know, you need some training. So she put me into speech and drama, elocution lessons, I guess you could call them. Well, Bridie, <laughs> there's another woman in this room and there's only two of us who also went to elocution. Well, you can tell, can't you, from the way we speak? I don't know that you can. <laughs> But I know that I absolutely loathed and detested when we had to go to a, uh, what do you call a it? A Stedford. Oh, my God. And get a mark for <laughs> oh how God. you recited a poem. Oh, like wasn't it awful? 79 out of, out of 100. And they stand up there and adjudicate. <laughs> I, I guess it was like, you oh know. Oh, I, did, I didn't win any competitions anyway. You didn't. I got a couple of second places. I'm not sure if I got any first. I got some highly commended and some second place uh, medals. <laughs> well, well done you. Um, Thank you. But I, I was like, oh, my God, a nervous wreck whenever I had to remember a poem and yes. recite it in front of three However many people. Yeah, a lot of people. Three, well, a, a room full of people, but three people who were judging you. I know, I know. Horrible, horrible thing to do your child. <laughs> it is, but look, it's the same as if, so I didn't go into formal acting. I would have loved to, but I think my parents, I, we did live in a, we lived first of all in a country town, then in Brisbane, and my parents were both working. They, they didn't really, they weren't, they didn't come from a creative background where something like a love of the arts and acting would have really been encouraged, but they thought elocution was the way to get my confidence up with speaking, speak clearly. And I obviously had a bit of a talent for it because I was winning, you know, poem recycle, recitals and stuff at school. Uh, and so then, so I did that and I went all the way through from about eight to year 11, like, sorry, age eight to about year 11 with my speech and drama. And that was, I, I got to the year I was doing my HSC. So I was doing my HSC plus I was up to the very final the year where I could have gone on to be a teacher after that with my AMEB speech and drama. Mm -hmm. And I just decided it was too much. And again, that was a turning point because maybe I made the wrong decision because I could have just finished that off and had a qualification. So rightly or wrongly, I chose no HSC, focus on that. I'd had enough of the speech and drama. <laughs> but what it did was gave me, even though I was a nervous wreck every time I stood up to speak, I could do it. And I did public speaking, debating, so I went down that path rather than the acting theatrical side. So what are some of the factors that stopped you from pursuing that line? Yeah, it was tough because I think I got to a very, it's very stale when you're standing in a room week after week with just a teacher and you're reciting poems for them and you're improvising scenarios and you're 
reading from po prose and then you're learning to write about diphthongs and God only knows what else for the theoretical exams. It just, oh, it was very stale. And then I'd go along on the days where I had to do my oral exams and you'd be sitting in a room of really precocious kids. And I was quite, I was not that way inclined. I was a good speaker, but I, I didn't go around speaking like this and hello, I'm, I'm Gloria and I'm a really good speaker and I'm an actor. So I just sort of felt a little bit, I don't know, I just didn't really fit into that world and it became really boring just to go along every week and do a speech and drama lesson. My parents wouldn't let me give it up. And, I, and look, I'm glad because it's something I've achieved and I could go back to and finish my, my qualifications there. But I also suffered a lot of bullying throughout school. And it probably gives you a bit of a clue, the fact I went to so many schools. Some mm -hmm. of those changes were to do with bullying. I just lost an extreme amount of confidence so even though I could stand up and do public speaking in front of my peers or in front of adults, I just really had no confidence in myself. My self-worth was shattered, sort of thought I was fat and ugly because, you know, it's sort of been told that, you know, that I was fat. And um, I just lost a lot of confidence. So anything, any of that natural spark I had when I was little and, oh, I'd love to be an actor, you know, it sort of, it just tapered off because I thought, well... I haven't really got the confidence. What I am good at doing is writing essays and English literature and that, so I'll just follow that path. I'll go to university and, and write essays. <laughs> yeah, so I hear that there's sort of probably a lot of self-doubt and, you know, just a lot low self-esteem, all those things, and they do play a big role yeah. in the choices we make. They do, incredibly so, Karen. Now, there is a song. No, it's not a song. Now... <laughs> Bridey, there's a poem, The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Can you yes. shed some light on that, please? Yes. So this is, I came to this poem at a very young age. I can't remember exactly when, but uh, that was through speech and drama. So maybe it was given to me by my teacher at the time uh, to recite. Maybe my parents, I'm not sure. But The Road Not Taken became a very special poem for me and I actually got my mother to say it at my wedding. That was her, instead of a prayer, that was what she said because I, turning points became a very big thing for me mm -hmm. and it was all about the path I didn't take and was that the right way to go? Yeah. And whether it was or wasn't, it's what has made me what I am today. I'm glad you said that because I think turning points happen for a reason and things that happen in our lives happen for a reason to take you on a journey or to explore a different path. Yeah, it, it certainly enriches your life. It may not put you on that linear progression to greatness, which, um, you know, all, all the mums seem to want their kids to have today, but it gives you a more enriched life. Uh, you're a lot more resilient and you've got to learn from your, your mistakes or, or maybe wrong decisions. And anyway, it just it seemed a big deal to me. And the reason why I had it was my wedding was that I, because I said I loved my career in television, but I never had any personal life in terms of relationships. And when I had the chance and I met my husband who was travelling in Australia at the time, I decided to go over to England to, to, you know, to give it a go, the relationship with him. And I knew that there wasn't a guarantee that I'd be able to continue my television career in England. But at that fork in the road, I decided having a, some sort of personal life is more important to me 
the sky was really lovely. And so I made a big decision. I went overseas. Um, and yes, my television career did suffer. So would I say that was the wrong decision or would I just say that was a decision and it actually took me on a path that possibly more fulfilling in the fact that I married and had a child with this man and had four years living in England. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't a wrong decision, but on the career side, you could maybe say, oh, what a mistake. But on the life side, was it the best thing? Balance. Yeah. Would you share that poem with us, please? I'd love to. And forgive me, because I'm going to probably go back into that whole speech and drama way of reciting it. (laughs) I'm going to actually turn myself off the the microphone so that I can enjoy this. You mean laugh at me. (laughs) Okay. The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveller. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I... I took the one less travelled by. And that has made all the difference. That was beautiful. And <laughs> actually, you. I, you know, I closed my eyes to listen to you then because I really wanted to get a picture of those two roads. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to. It brings back a lot of memories. Yeah. You talked about TV. So before this turning point that you went off to England to follow a man. Yep. Tell us about that career in TV. Yeah, well, how did I even end up in TV? It's sort of like a dream, isn't it? Because everyone says, how do you get into TV? Well, it's so odd. (laughs) But I worked as a library assistant for a public library um, throughout uni. Mm -hmm. And then when I graduated with an honours degree, my father was like, come on, get the CVs out there. Because I was still reticent and had no, I didn't really know what I was going to do with that arts degree. (laughs) And but I knew I didn't want to just sit in a university and be an Mm -hmm. academic. So a job came up at a production company in Sydney as a tape library assistant. So this is so typically me, you know, that I would always take the side road to get into something, you know what I mean? I wouldn't just go in as a production assistant like all the other bright-eyed young girls. Was that self-doubt? Well, no, it's just possibly I always felt like I had to sort of come in the side door because – I didn't just charge ahead. Maybe it was. But I thought, well, this is something. I saw the ad and the criteria and I thought, well, I had been a library assistant, so transferable skills, which has, again, been a theme. Transferable skills. So I, so I got in there in this production company 
as a tape librarian and was quite good at it and um, they saw I had organisation skills but pretty soon of obviously being in there I realised oh this is the boring job being in the tape library I want to be <laughs> on the production side you know researching and making shows like like everyone else was yeah um so yeah I managed to push my way into it you know and again lost the comfort of a full-time job which this had been become uh, the tape library to go on a six-week contract research. They gave me an opportunity. They said, "Okay, you can have. You have to finish that full-time position mm-hmm. and take a six-week contract researching for a National Geographic show. And after that, we can't promise you anything." Okay, that's all right. I'll do it. <laughs> I was like twenty-two. Why wouldn't I? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what have you got to lose? That's right. It was my break. Yep. And so it worked because. Um, I worked my guts out, and that's a quality they admired in television. (laughs) Yeah, well, I know a lot about television because Mm. I had a similar experience myself, and the hours are long. 18 hours a day I used to do for them, yep. And, you know, the the turnaround, you know, if you're out there filming for a day, you might not finish till 7 at night, but you'll be back there for breakfast at 7 in the morning, and if you've gone home, you've probably got work to do before You get back there at seven in the morning to prep for the day. So it's not an easy life. It's glamour from the outside, but there's not a lot of glamour when you're on the inside. No, but I still enjoyed it thoroughly. That's Mm -hmm. where I really found a friendship group. I did actually find a lot of self-confidence in my 20s that I'd never had and I Mm -hmm. really lost through university and school. Um, So I started to become myself because I was allowed to be creative. I was allowed to be a bit of an oddball People found me funny and, you know, I started to find my people, creative people. So I realised then, yeah, creative people is what I really enjoy. <laughs> so, Bridie, was the television the only thing you did before the turning point to moving to the UK? Yeah, it was. I was absolutely engrossed in this life. I did manage to make a very good living as a freelancer and I guess, again, this is a bit of a key theme to my life as well. I, I would take any contract in any role behind the scenes in order to keep working. Mm-hmm. I mean, fair enough, wanting to pay the bills, wanting to get the experience. I think that's an important um, generational decision that we did. I know you're nowhere near my age, but I think there is still a generational thing about having that income and not daring to be without work. Possibly, yeah. I had, a mor- I had a mortgage to pay by then. Well, I think my mid-20s, I had got my first unit. Well, yeah, you had to work. <laughs> yeah, and that's good. That's character building again. But then producers, they could never quite work out what I was trying to do. I think they knew that I wanted to work. I really wanted to work in reality TV, but my experience was mainly on the documentary side, so I found it a struggle. When I'd go for jobs with producers, like some really big-name producers at the time, well, what do you want to specialise in, Bridie? What, what are you? And I go, well, look, I can research, I can coordinate, I can I can sort of do anything. I just, you know, <laughs> maybe that was my problem. I've always been being a jack of all trades. People like you to know what you want and they like you to say, this is what I do, this is what I specialise in. Mm. But, you know, it's all very well saying that. But most of my experience was in documentaries and what I really wanted to do was reality TV at the time. This is when Big Brother was still new and in, in, in its infancy. That was the generation. And I couldn't get into it just because I had the wrong experience. So it's about really pitching hard for what you want. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, what were the lessons you were learning? Oh, I don't know how hard, how tough life was, but um, I did love TV, but I was learning things like um, it's, it, it is all about who you know and your ability to network and, and push yourself. Um, hard work, yes, but also sort of being the right fit for certain certain productions and, and certain companies. But yeah, life was a slog. So I had the best fun ever in TV and part of me wishes I was still there today. But I realised that I had no, it was no outlet for love and a relationship. And coming on to 30 by that time, I just thought, what? I've just, I met this man and I thought, this is a different experience than I've ever had. It's worth, it is worth investing some time in that even if I'm taking a risk then on my TV career. So as part of your journey, what led you into business development and event management? Oh God, good good question. Well, in England, so I, I got a bit of TV work with Better, Better Homes and Gardens over there and Chelsea, uh, Chelsea Flower Show, but it sort of dried up after that because that was with an Australian company and I couldn't get work with any um, England production companies, English. Um, so I had a rough couple of months where the income pretty much died up. I was down to my last seven pounds, literally, mm-hmm. and I still had my mortgage to pay, but luckily I had a few cents put away in Australia. And what year was this? <laughs> oh God, I don't know, Karen. Was it I think the... it, I was about 2007, 2006, yeah. 2007. Yeah. So I was just coming up to sort of 30 and... I actually ended up taking telesales jobs. I've never done telesales. But because I was living in Brighton at the time, which is a smaller town, it's not London, so the mm. work pos- opportunities are not as big, I took telesales job, which I couldn't believe it at that age I was having to take them. So I scrounged a few pounds here and there, and then I thought, no, this is – I can't be doing this. This is so stroll-destroying and so horrible. And then a job came up at the local university – Mm-hmm. It was as a PA to a, a head of business development at the university. Thought, right, okay, this is not my where I'm trained in, not my career, but it's a job and it's stable and I'm going to be able to help pay the rent <laughs> with my boyfriend at the time. Important. Yep. Yeah. So I took it, I got it, and I became a PA, so an organiser, you know, an organiser to this wonderful, fabulous lady and running her whole life, her business life, basically. Um, And that's how I got into there because, of course, after a year, I wasn't satisfied with that because I was a lot more capable than just being a PA and the pay was very low, took a massive step back. Uh, I won a position as an event manager in the business development team there Mm -hmm. and I got my visa, so they sponsored me to stay on there. That was a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, and I I went back to what I should have been being paid and um, so that was a new thing because I was, I was an organiser. That was my real gift at that stage in my career, you know. Yeah. So that's where I went into event managing for the academics. So the academics needed events to work with clients, business clients. We were trying to commit, uh, connect academia with business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have one quick question about banking. Was there a time in your life that you worked in a bank? Ah, oh, look... Yes, there was. <laughs> was that fruitful? <laughs> was it no. marking time? No, I thought at the time, 
again, you probably think, where is this person going in their life? <laughs> but so we did, after four years in the UK, we finally sort of got married. Mm -hmm. But I was very homesick and I wanted to come home and set up our lives here. So we did. Four years, we, we moved back to Australia. My husband got his um, residency. When I came back, I didn't think I had strong enough contact still with TV because they do laps, you yeah. know, and it, even a short time. But four years is a long time not to have any experience in TV. It's a fickle world. Yeah. And people who were very close friends were perhaps not as close anymore just because I hadn't been in touch. So I, again, scared. I was scared. I needed a job because my husband, I knew my husband wouldn't have one straight away. My, my uncle came into play and helped me to get a job uh, business develop, in business development and event management for a financial business magazine. And I'll be forever grateful for that opportunity. But again, it was one that sort of took me sort of a turning point. I could have spent a while trying to get something in an industry where I had worked and loved before or take an a good opportunity that comes, you know, to get you some work. Get mm -hmm. your feet back on the ground. So that's what I did. And I worked for that company, the B2B magazine, for four years. But it was with all the banks, big banks in town. So I was working with the marketing departments for all the big banks. And so that's why when I came to an end of that four years and I didn't want to work at the magazine anymore, I got a contract, a maternity leave contract at a bank. Oh, <laughs> one my of the goodness. big four banks. Yeah. But I'm so not a corporate at heart. I think I've said before, when, the reason I love television was you can be wild and crazy and yep. it's so much fun. The people make up for all the hard, you know, the over hard work. But the banking, it, corporate wasn't my culture. It just wasn't in my heart. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly. My guest in the studio today is a presenter here at Radio Northern Beaches, Bridie Wright, and she presents about books, children's books. That's her real passion. But yes. Bridie, we were just talking about your short career in banking, and I'm going to say there was another turning point there. Share with us this next turning point in your life. Fancy that, another turning point for oh, me. I wonder how many there's been. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, so I was working for about four and a half years. I'd worked in banking and finance on the administration side. As I was saying, like really, it's when I got to the bank and was organising events there, Oh, gosh, I really, that was so soul-destroying, and I really realised, no, what am I doing? How did I manage to get into to banking? Um, and I had had a baby by this point. Ooh. So my, my child was probably about two at this time. He'd been at five days a week pretty much at childcare since I was born. I was working, still working incredibly long days. It's like, what, what is going on? That's harsh. Very harsh. And I was travelling into the city every day from the northern beaches. Were you feeling guilty about having him in childcare? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, part of me, yes, I wanted to get up and go and have my own life. There's no doubt about that. I'm a career woman. But 
oh, it was terrible. And like giving it up for what I was doing, like giving that up for what I was doing every day going to work, I thought, no way. So I did actually end that maternity leave contract a bit early, but I had nothing to go to. So I just said to my husband, I just want a break and I want to reassess and see what's next. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did have a break. And during that time, I got to spend a lot more time with my son, you know, his little amazing creature giving me so much creativity. So for years and years and years since university, I hadn't written a thing. I hadn't picked up a pen. You know what I mean? It's the and person. for a writer, that's yeah. hard. Well, that's right. I just buried it and thought, well, no, I, my job is to organize for other people and make them look good. <laughs> um, but during all these ideas started popping into my head, I think because I had space and time, this little person in front of me was just giving me so many ideas. That's when I started writing children's picture books at that stage. I had all these really funny ideas. Most of them were grounded in reality, you know, just about the funny things of of life, like a father who sits on the toilet for too long and a little child thinking, what's daddy doing in there? <laughs> and just funny ideas, you know. And I just started putting pen to paper again because I had, yes, I was looking after my child, but there were moments of where I had time for myself when he was sleeping or at childcare. And I just put pen to paper. I ended up self-publishing a picture book called Daddy and the World's Longest Poo. Well, that's amazing. (laughs) That's a fantastic title. Can I just say, I know someone that spent their time in the loo when they had young children investing in the stock market. (laughs) I'm not going to name who, but Mm. wow, the things you can do in the loo. And when you're a man, you can do a lot in the loo because children don't come in and interrupt the dad when they're on the toilet. But when a mum is on the toilet, oh, gosh, or, you know, the dog, the child, everyone has to come and visit you and see what you're doing. How did it feel <laughs> to publish a book? Oh, it felt wonderful because you know what it was? I did try to get it traditionally published. I sent it around. This is a point where I became uh, part of the writing community, the fabulous write, children's writing community. Yes. But for that idea, it was a bit left of centre and probably a bit, you know, the gatekeepers didn't like it. It was a bit controversial that I would write such a silly thing. But I thought, no, no one's going to tell me I, I can't be a writer. I'm actually going to put some funds behind this. I like the idea. It's original mm-hmm. and it's universal and I'm mm-hmm. going to self-publish this, rightfully or wrongly. So I lost a lot of money on it, Karen. But, you know, I gained a lot from it too. I and, gained a voice. And, and also... I mean, I've had a similar journey. I didn't write a children's book, but the lessons that you learn and the growth personally yeah. is the biggest bonus in life. Oh, it is. It is. I just, I became a creator. I realized I could create something from start to finish. And I realized I could write. Okay, it's probably, you know, looking at the, the manuscript, I can probably see why it wasn't traditionally published. But I knew, look, I can write. And I need to write. And I started blogging. I even got a small, like, small paid job as the editor of Sydney Mums Group, a blog for mums. And I worked briefly for a travel magazine, again, as an EA, PA type role. And I wrote some travel pieces. I thought, I can do this. I actually can do this. (laughs) And I think there's nothing that makes you more proud than creating something like this for yourself, that you did it from start to finish. Yes. So well done you. 
Thank you. Yeah, I know. I it's always a talking point. It's a it's one day of those, in what? the world's longest poo. <laughs> one of those moments, you yeah. know. Yeah, and since I have that is one of I think you know what you know the big turning point there because I chose to take a step back. Obviously, lost a lot of money in the process through the self publishing, but also the 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 pay not having yeah. the corporate pay. But I gained my community again. You know, remember I said I loved the creative people in television. Yeah. I found this wonderful group here on the North Shore, even on of writers, Children's Book Council of Australia, local sub branch, just the most wonderful group and of there creative are, people. There are some wonderful people there, and I think when you allow yourself, and it is a privilege to allow yourself the time to find the headspace yes. by not working. Yes, you do sacrifice a lot, but the gains can be so much more. And I think I had to do it because I was set on a path where I was just going from wrong job, wrong career to wrong career and, yeah, doing pretty well in the money stakes. But, well, not, you know, middling well. It's never going to be rich on a You're paying the bills. That's right. And But I would have, I'm 43 now, so this is even a few years on from there because my son's nine now. Um, but I was going on a path I never would have got back to what I wanted to do and what I needed to do. So your husband mm. put you out of your comfort zone again. Yes. Which I'm going to say was another turning point. Definitely. At a charity auction. Yeah. What did he do? I couldn't believe it because it's funny because I think my husband's always wanted to be the one that is the – you know, the house husband just staying at home and me earning lots of money, which I still hope to do, but at the moment, that's not what's happening. It's the roles are reversed. But at a charity auction one night, there was an opportunity to have an hour where you could be guest host and guest programmer for Penny Pedersen's Long Way Home on Northside Radio, which is another community radio station. And I go, oh, wow, that would be really amazing. Because I'd met Penny. I was doing a piece, a blog piece about the the – about the auction mm-hmm. and um, my husband just came out of nowhere and let a few moths fly out of his wallet, which is pretty rare. And <laughs> he just bid quite a few hundred and I was the only bidder. So we got it. We got it. That's amazing. So so you they your husband won the bid for you. Yeah. What came next? So Penny, uh, I, we organised a time and she said, I couldn't believe it, you know. She asked. Obviously, I was paying, so of course she. It was a paid opportunity, but she said, "What do you What do you want to talk about? This is your hour. You can program the songs. You can do as much of the presenting as you want. I'll co. I'll help you." She even wanted to let me do the panels, and I was going, "Oh, I'm not ready for the panels. I've never done any training." Um, but she said, "What do you do? Oh, I like the fact you're an author. You can talk all about your book. Can you believe this? Someone actually asking Self- me about me? Self promote." Wow. Awesome. You know, and what do you do? Oh, I blog, I do movie reviews. Well, you can read a couple. Oh, my God, I've never been asked. No one's ever really been that interested in what I can do. Did you feel important? Well, I guess I did, you know. Wasn't that a nice – but the biggest thing is amazing. Do you know I was packing it? Because even though I could speak and all that, my biggest fear for so long, because I had low self-esteem and doubt for so many years, was – I can't talk. I'm going to trip over my words. I'm not going to be out. I'm not going to know what to say. I'm going to forget my lines. Again, going back to the speech and drama, forget the lines of a poem. Oh, shock horror. 
But you know what? I got on that air, and uh, I got on the air, and Penny being the master, you know, presenter she is, she handed it over. She handled it so beautifully. I was very good, Karen. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it nice, though, to think that you made you made a difference that day. Yes, and I I just stepped out of my comfort zone, and it paid off. It was like even my husband. <laughs> sorry, I know he bid for it, but he's you know he he's I guess he's been a bit skeptical of how far my creativity might take me. And he said, "Wow, you sounded great." A couple of trusted friends said, "Wow, <laughs> you sounded really good." So did that boost your confidence? Give you some self esteem back? It did. It really did. And I listened to myself and I didn't cringe, which is a big thing. Um, And, you know, lo and behold, within a few months, there was an opportunity to do a radio skills training workshop at Radio Northern Beaches. We're going to come back to that (laughs) after you tell me about Treasure and Bruno Mars. Okay, so really a turning point in my life, of course, was meeting my husband because that enabled me to have, you know, a wonderful relationship and my beautiful child. And my little child is my treasure, and he's given me inspiration. Remember, I based my first book on him mm-hmm. <laughs> and his father. So, Treasure from Bruno Mars. Welcome back. You're listening to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. To find out more, go to the website rnb.org.au. My guest on the Aging Fearlessly program at Radio Northern Beaches today is Bridie Wright and she is a writer and a presenter and also has her own radio program here on Radio Northern Beaches. And we've been talking about turning points and really coming from the question initially of what do you want to be when you grow up? Because Mm -hmm. I think the conversation goes around, well, when do you grow up and when do you finally reach that whole career, like, I'm still working on mine, Bridie. Yeah, well, that's great, though, and you're doing fabulously. Well, so, Bridie, um, we just talked about the charity bid that your husband threw away a lot of money to give you the great – he didn't throw it away. He he paid a lot of money. You said he let the moths out of the wallet, paid a lot of money um, to allow you to host – a radio program. Now yep. that led you to making another decision and probably a really big turning point for you. Share that. Yeah, it was a big turning point because when I saw on, I think it was Facebook, that Radio Northern Beaches, which is my local community radio station, was doing a radio skills uh, workshop day, introductory day. I thought, well, why not? You know, I've always been one to do a bit of continuing education, well, actually quite a lot of continuing education. That was very vocational. So I thought, well, let's do it. I call it lifelong education. It is, yeah. So I came along to the day um, and Andrew and Sharon here, who, who run the station, put on a fabulous introductory day here. And they got us into a lot of interviewing scenarios. Mm-hmm. And again, I was still scared because, again, I've got this bit of a doubt of, it's just the self-doubt rearing its head. But I got up on in front of the class here with a lovely lady who, called Jo who does the Pump Up at 80s program here. And um, we did a fantastic interview. We just bounced off, off each other. And when we did the live interviews later that day on, on air, sort of never looked back. I realised, yes, you can do this. You can interview. And you got the wor- I've, I've got the warmth to be able to, you know, get people talking and feed off their answers, you know. Mm. And 
you know, I know when anyone comes in to do the radio program here, they see the studio and they see the panels yeah. and they go, oh, my God, what was your feeling? Yeah, I was I was intimidated. And because the, when Andrew was showing us, like most things, well, but when people are showing you, they can show you till they're blue in the face. But until you do it yourself, you've got no idea. Yeah, and you've just got to come in here and play and make mistakes. But yep. So you made it. Well, you made a decision to create a program. Tell us about your program and what that program has given to you. Yep. Well, I drew on the fact that I said I'd found a wonderful community as children's writers uh, on the North Shore uh, and through the Children's Book Council of Australia Australia local sub-branch. And I decided to do my program about children's books and a love of children's literature, uh, promoting childhood literacy, you know, getting getting parents and teachers and and locals excited about children's books. We've got so many creative people here oh, on the northern I know. beaches. It's scary. <laughs> so I almost had an endless list of interview potential amongst the authors and illustrators and book people on the northern beaches, and that's what I've capitalised on. So my show is by the book. It's weekly on Sundays at three pm, and it's all about the world of children's books, and usually from a radio from a northern beaches perspective. And it, you know, there's some wonderful writers. Oliver Pomervan, and there's some fantastic writers that I've met um, through the Children's Book Council as well. Yes. So from there, you started to study again. Yes. So I've loved doing my community radio show. I'm still doing it. But again, I think there was something in me. Do you remember at the beginning of this interview that I said wanted to be an actor and a singer? Yeah. Well, like I'll, I'll always love karaoke, and I think I do a pretty mean <laughs> Justin Bieber. <laughs> But um, acting, that is in front of the camera. That's what I've been lacking. I never had the confidence. I was remember I was always behind the camera organising, so I'm good at that. I think now at 43, Karen, almost 44, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a string bean, as you can see. I'm a big woman, I'm, but I'm, you know, I've actually found myself now and I'm going, well, I'm proud to be that. You can take me or leave me. And I studied to do it. They do TV presenting. That's a big move. So tell us it about is. the program that you did. What, what's T- the course? Yeah, TV Pro Global, wonderful lady named Sharon Lynn, who's got years of experience as a casting director, uh, runs a, an advanced course. And again, an introductory day to get mm-hmm. you in. And then an advanced course. And I've just completed a showreel with her. So I actually have a showreel of myself presenting as a kid's storyteller, a uh, lifestyle presenter, and a corporate presenter. Wow. Congratulations because... Thank you. Well, I know that you've struggled to actually find yourself and to find your your place. And that's a that's an amazing thing that you've done. And I know that it fills you up. It does. It does. And I feel like it's such a big chapter because, again, I have to start to break in again. It's all knocking on all those old doors that I yeah. maybe have closed, you know, in the in the television production world. But my show reel is really impressive. My casting director loves it. And she says she loves the fact that I'm, she knows I'm middle-aged and not, not every role is going to suit me, but it'll be those gaps. There'll be people who want me for my warmth, my ability, and the way I come across. Not the fact that I'm, because I'm not a string bean, I'm none of those things, but I've got the life experience, the warmth and the passion. So you're really only finding what it is that you want to be when you grow up. 
Yeah, well, I always knew it though, didn't I, Karen? Yeah, if you go back to the very beginning, but you've gone many roads. Yeah, you've you've taken the long road I to have. get there, which many people do take the long road to find what they are passionate about and what yes. their purpose is, and what they know or where they know they make a big difference in the world. That's right. And I must say this too, because there are going to be people sitting out there and going, oh, well, it's all well and good if your husband can support you and you've got the money. Yeah, that is true. But guess what? I work night fills at a, at a supermarket warehouse and I have been doing since the beginning of COVID when I lost my job to COVID. So I'm still working. I've actually got two jobs at the moment. Um, so yes, my husband is the lion's share at the moment financially, but I've never stopped working. So you know, you've got to keep working too. Yeah. You've got to support yourself. So, Bridie, before we go, have you got three quick shares for us today, takeaways? Yes. I think it's never too late. Oh, I love that one. It really isn't. Uh, keep having faith. Don't let your dreams die. <laughs> Do that, not let them die. That's a valuable tool. That's a valuable one as well. But I think also allow life to take you where it is. Allow life to make, allow yourself to make mistakes. I think the worst thing is when we put too much pressure on our young children that everything has to be mapped out and achieved by a certain age. It doesn't. You let life take you where it will. You'll learn. You'll get resilience. But if you've got a talent, if you've got a spark, don't let anyone detract you indefinitely. They might be able to detract you for a while, but you need to get back to it. Do what you are going to do to make your mark in the world as what you want to do. Bridie Wright, thank you for agreeing to be my guest today. It's been really inspiring listening to you and the many turning points that you've been through and and chosen to make another career for yourself. Bridie Wright, thank you for being on the Aging Fearlessly show today and sharing the many turning points that you've endured to get to where you are today. And I know you're going to be successful. And I love your program here. And I know so many people love your program at Radio Northern Beaches. So I look forward to learning more about what's happening in your life in the future. Thank you ever so much. It's been an honour. I appreciate the chance to share my story. My honour as well. Thank you. This is Aging Fearlessly. Until next time. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside There's a sparkle in your eye It's not all nine to five It's a wonderful life Let's go and climb mountains high Swim across oceans wide Gotta go get the most out of time
Let your heart be alive. 